Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. The first sponsorship on Warden's Watch is Trail Runner Wireless Internet, available in Coas County and Washington County, Maine. High-speed internet for rural areas. And they're the company I work for other than podcasting. So, and I, I thank you for your support. Uh, this is high-speed internet r- rural areas, making my podcast happen and making businesses happen in remote places, as well as bringing technology to you folks when you live out in the country. Please go to mytrailrunner.com and like the page on Facebook as well. That would help them a lot and help me to continue Warden's Watch. Guidefitter.com. Guidefitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. Guidefitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public 
and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Warden's Watch. I am psyched, and I'm excited to continue my adventure by talking to Game Wardens, uh, conservation, biologists, all sorts of things that are related to the outdoors, and uh, to inform you folks listening to my podcast. I'm excited to do this. I want you guys to learn. But I want to lay down some tracks because we're going to go into this. We're going to learn about me, my first episode. And I'm getting more and more comfortable on this mic. I thought this was going to be easy. I've been on TV. I've been on radio shows. Never done the whole thing myself. I've been uh, learning a lot very quickly. So I hope you guys can bear with me, get through the, the basics so you kind of feel who I am. I've been a little vulnerable through this, I'll tell you. It, it's uh, it's soul-searching being a podcaster to, to let you know how I feel and what I feel and uh, to work with the public. So when you're listening to me, you're hearing me. And that's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear my passion. I want you to hear my dedication. And because that's what most game wardens have. And most of the people I'm going to be talking to have that too. I have a passion for being a game warden, but you know, a biologist, I know those guys are just as passionate about their job. Law enforcement are just as passionate about their job. And we're going to interact with all those people in the show. And the first thing, you know, for big goals. I want to promote conservation. Not preservation, conservation, because that's what each individual state, each individual country tries to do, is to conserve, to find that balance between people and animals and the outdoors and the ecology. Find that balance. And then I want to promote my brothers and sisters around the country and around the world. Wildlife law enforcement, that's important to me. I want everybody to know what they're doing and the excitement of their job and the dedication, the passion that they have to continue to do it and the dangers, the things that they encounter, you know, near death experiences, saving lives and, you know, sometimes bringing closure home to families, which is a really tough thing. I want to promote Operation Game Thieves around the country, turn in a poacher programs. Almost every state, every state has some kind of way that somebody can report wildlife violations extremely important to me. And if you don't know those those venues, go to International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. That's the parent kind of of all the Operation Game Thieves and Turn in a Poacher tip programs. So go to iwc.org or wildlifecrimestoppers.org is uh, actually the website. So go there, check it out, see what we're doing around the country. And, and, and there's a map of our country there, and you can click on it and find your local Operation Game Thief, Turn in a Poacher, Wildlife Alert in Florida. So uh, th- th- there's those things, too. I want you guys to be informed. I want you to know how to help us help you, how to conserve the great resources that we all have on this planet. And so we're going to mix it up as we go. We're going to talk to local law enforcement that I've worked with. We're going to talk to biologists. We're going to talk to industries, uh, sporting industries, wildlife watchers. I don't think there's a thing we're not going to talk about if you want to talk about it. Because this show, let's face it, every show is about you, the listener. And if I'm not filling those needs, you're not going to listen. 
So I want you to listen. But for the first few, as I get better and better, I think, as we go, and I think you'll see I relaxed. Bear with me because you got to learn my story because who wants to listen to a guy that they know anything about? So I want you to know about me. I want you to know where I'm coming from, where I've been, and where I'm going. And I'm going, hopefully, to the game warden in your backyard to talk to him because each and every one of us has a story that we want to tell you. So after laying down those tracks, I hope you enjoyed my first episode and enjoyed that trailer because it's wild and it's exciting. And that's what being a game warden is all about. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You know, for my first podcast, I guess I want to know if I'm a listener out there. I want to know who, who's speaking. Who, who is this person that's starting this podcast, you know? Uh, it's called Warden's Watch. Is he a warden? Is he just an interviewer or what? But I, I want to tell you my story, and I think uh, you know a good place to start is the beginning. So you get a feel for me, so you understand where I'm coming from, so you start to understand the passion of uh, being a game warden, because I think that a lot of us are cut from the same paper, so to speak, the same cloth, uh, because I think it from interacting with those around me that are game wardens, I can see similarities, and uh, to pass that information on to listeners, I think is really important, because I think it is a separate type of thing for a lot of us, that we truly believe in what we are doing, we are passionate, not that other law enforcement doesn't, because I believe they do as well, but I think we're unique in that we believe in protecting a resource, we believe in managing it, Uh, we're not biologists by design or we are biologists by design actually because we're out there we're interacting with the wildlife we're not maybe biologists by education although a lot of us have very similar education i have a good friend that total total degree in biology always wanted to be a biologist uh going through college wayne i'm going to be a biologist going to be a biologist you know i don't don't know why you want to be a game warden you know two years out of college he calls me up and says hey wayne guess what i got a game job as a game warden in connecticut and i was like Matt, you didn't want to be a game warden, you know? That, that's my slot you just took, you know? Get out of the way. If you don't want to be a game warden, you know, don't be a game warden. You know, after 20-plus years, Matt's retired now and uh, says to me, he's like, I, I can't imagine being anything else but a game warden. So if you're thinking you might like it, you know, uh, you know that's one thing you should uh, listen to this podcast and get a feel for and start to understand, you know, what it's like, the lives we live, because they are very different in some cases, and as we move around the country, again, they are very different. As we move generations, that's going to be very different from, you know, 50, 60 years ago being a game warden to a modern-day game warden today. Tactics have changed by poaching, illegal taking, uh, the, the equipment we use is different. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that have changed, so uh, it's pretty uh, interesting for me to look back and then look forward. So, But I think a, a lot of us that have started this start with a passion. And Matt happened to develop that passion as he started working as a game warden. Uh, was it his first opportunity to work in conservation and he jumped at it? I don't know. 
But after 20 years, he says, I, I can't imagine doing anything else but being a game warden. Um, you know, uh, Arthur Muse said, uh, and Arthur, I'll talk about Arthur. Uh, Arthur is uh, an icon. Arthur's passed away, but uh, yeah, there's a mountain in New Hampshire named after Arthur, Muse Mountain. That, that gives you a kind of idea what kind of game warden Arthur was. Uh, and there's stories still out there that I want you guys to hear about Arthur. But Arthur always had a statement. He's like, if, if God knew what kind of job a game warden was, he would have kept it for himself. I heard that from Arthur's mouth, and I heard uh, that happened a lot. So, um, and he shared that a lot with everybody that he could. It was impressive to be able to experience Arthur, not as a game warden, as a retired game warden, but to hear those stories as I worked around northern New Hampshire, the stories of Arthur, the legacy that he left, the legacy that I hope I left. So my story starts, you know, over 30 years ago uh, with my dad hunting. You know, I always, hunters are conservationists, you know. If you're a conservationist and you're not a hunter, that's great. And wildlife watchers, there's so many people that experience wildlife that aren't hunters. And that's a great thing. But remember, those that hunt, for the most part, I will say for the most part, because we're going to talk about those that aren't conservationists, the good people, the solid people that hunt, enjoy the outdoors. They don't enjoy killing, although it's part of it. It's part of our heritage. It's part of our makeup, I believe. Uh, and, you know, I think that if we look into it, you know, and we don't enjoy the kill. I, I, I live in northern New Hampshire. The deer are very sparse. My, my day of deer hunting isn't really necessarily just to see a deer. That would be great. But I pick out locations on a map and such. And I, uh, I go to those locations and get to that little notch. It may take me all day, three mile hunt in, you know, and then it turns dark and it's a miserable walk out in the dark. I always try to start getting closer to the road before dark because, you know, those days that I stayed up, right where all the sign was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I regretted it coming out of the woods that night because it seems like every pile of leaves had a hole, every log I found, even with a headlamp, it was, it was discouraging. But, you know, it, it's not about the kill. You've got to remember, it's about the experience of being in the outdoors and seeing country that not a lot of people get to see. Uh, and it's energetic. It's, it's, it's actually uh, it's spiritual. Uh, it lets your 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 soul free, uh, just being out there and being out there with a purpose, you know. And hikers have this: the hikers get to the top of the mountain, you know, and they experience the top of the mountain. They're out there for a certain reason, but they're out there for the experience as well. Sometimes, if you want to bushwhack, I think that's a better experience because the trails you're going to interact with people, and maybe that's what you want. That that's a great experience as well. And you know, for all the people that I've uh, rescued bushwhacking, yeah, stick. You might want to stick to the trail. But my story starts with my dad, as I think a lot of uh, Game Warden's story starts with. I started st uh, hunting at about six years old, and I started with a unloaded BB gun. We went out into the woods. I was learning gun handling. I was learning to walk with a gun. I was learning to handle it. And as I grew, the firearms grew. Eventually, my dad loaded the BB gun, and we made it into an adventure as we went out. Uh, he was always taking the lead. We'd load up the BB gun, we'd shoot some targets. He'd bring a can or something, we'd set it up. You know, so he made it fun for, you know, the six-year-old. Uh, but it was exciting because uh, the first interaction I had with a game warden was hunting with my dad. And I would have never, ever thought we would have seen a game warden where we did. Uh, it was right across from our house. 
We were grouse hunting. It was small game season. I had my unloaded BB gun walking with my dad. If any of you guys have ever grouse hunted, uh, rough grouse specifically, grouse uh, usually surprises you. You're walking along in the woods and all of a sudden it's a gets up, you know, and you jump. And that's how you usually flush a grouse. And when you flush that grouse, you're supposed to shoot the grouse. But the country that the grouse lives in is challenging. It's whips. It's standing wood. So to get a good shot at a grouse is a challenge in itself. And those that do it understand it. Sometimes a dog will give you that extra edge. So if you're grouse hunting with a dog, at least you know he's there. You're getting ready. Um, so that's, that's exciting. And that's a whole new aspect of hunting. We didn't have a dog that day. Uh, we had mutts at that time. So not that they weren't good hunting dogs, but he was crossed between a German Shepherd and a Hound. Unique cross, but he was probably one of the best dogs we ever had. But it was just me and my dad out in the woods, and I'm learning gun handling, and he's grouse hunting, and the grouse just goes up. And usually sometimes grouse will just go a short distance away and settle back down. And uh, so he was getting ready. He, he got in that kind of position where he's ready to pull up his gun and shoot at the grouse if it takes off again. But he motions me to stay there, which was common when we were in the woods. He would We would do a lot of motions. You don't do a lot of talking. So I was familiar with his motion to just, he put his hand back and told me to stay. And he would just go, you know, 10, 20 feet ahead, hoping to put that grouse back up so he could get a shot on it. So he, he just put that grouse up. He's in a stalking position. This is an old logging room. And, uh, you know, it's, it's got a two track. It's all mossed in, uh, very dark. It's, it's, when I say old logging room, I'm talking 60, 70 years old, which is, uh, a great place to, to grouse hunt and a great place to walk to be honest with you because the, there's not a whole lot of trees in the way and yet on the edges there's gravel and such that the bird uses to, to put in its craw to digest its uh, its food so he tells me to woe and he starts stalking this grouse and i look behind me and you know, you know you're six years old you know if you guys have six-year-olds at home you know you know put put yourself in their shoes and uh, start to understand how this goes uh Here's a six-year-old with an unloaded BB gun in the woods. His dad's stalking a grouse. He's probably, oh, 15, 20 feet. And I turn behind me, and I look, and there's a big man. Of course, a six-year-old, not everybody would be a big man to a six-year-old. And I get that. He was a big man. Green uniform and a Stetson watching us. How he ever landed in that spot at that time, I will never know. I think it was fate. I think he was put there. Uh, I'm a big believer in faith. Fate. You know, not faith, but I, I'm a big believer in faith as well. But, uh, you know, the fate, I, I just believe that certain things happens at certain times for certain reasons. And uh, as we, as you talk to me and you understand my story, you will certainly understand that uh, I believe in fate. And, uh, you know, that I think uh, puts me here today. So when I really shouldn't be here today. So, but we're, we're standing there and I look behind me and I see this, you know, game warden standing there clad in green. Stetson on his head and I'm locked on him and he kind of motions me to be quiet just puts his finger up to his mouth and says, you know he doesn't say shh but I, I know he means to be quiet so I'm I'm gonna be quiet all right I'm standing like a, a statue uh, he's got a shiny badge on I know he's a police officer and I know he's a game warden because at six years old I know what a game warden is to a degree and I guess I, maybe I didn't know what it you know and then when you interact with your six-year-old or your niece nephews any six-year-old you can understand the mindset of a six-year-old so I'm I don't think I'm scared but I am uh, in awe and 
my father continues a little bit and the grouse doesn't go up. So he turns and he sees me and he sees the game warden behind me, probably 15 feet. He's pretty dang close. And he got pretty close to me without me hearing him. So eventually I did. So that's why I turned around to look. Uh, so he walks up casually. This is a normal experience for my dad. He's, he knows what a game warden is. He's experienced him his whole life. Um, he's been pretty close to, uh, you know, maybe getting arrested by the game warden because you'll find out my, my dad, I think, was on the pretty good side, but he hung out with some uh, pretty uh, characters, I should say, that weren't always on the good side. Were they always on the bad side? Not necessarily. They weren't always on the good side either, my uncle being one of them. So uh, sometimes I think my uncle thought that, you know, the fish and the, the game on this planet were set here for him. So to eat, which, you know, that sometimes is a mentality. I will tell you, when I became a conservation officer, I think my whole uncle's attitude changed, and I think he was extremely proud of what I did. So I believe at that point, I don't think he would have done anything wrong because of me. So we're getting back to that, that portion. My dad comes up, and of course, that's what we do is we check licenses. Game wardens check licenses. Do we check licenses in the middle of the woods? Not usually. And to this day, I've never asked uh, Dave Hewitt, who was the game warden, uh, he was still a game warden when I came on. What he was doing there, I don't think he remembers the encounter. It, it's funny because as you meet game wardens, you remember the encounter with them. But for us, a lot of it's routine. So they all people always say to me, you remember me? Remember me? And I'm like, yeah, of course I remember you. Uh, why wouldn't I remember you? But it, I don't. I don't. I'm, it's in the course of routine of every day. And you were routine, I'm sorry to say. I know that probably offends you. You were routine. But you were routine. If you did something out of the ordinary, something strange, if I arrested you, some people I've arrested, I've forgotten. I know it's hard to believe, but again, it's a job. I don't hold it against you. I've seen a lot of poachers change, and hopefully we'll get to talk to a few of those poachers that have changed and the reasons have changed and uh, the excitement that that brings to me, changing the course of behavior from somebody who's poaching to somebody who's not and the reasons they did that, so... That's going to be pretty interesting to, for me to talk to and to talk to other people. So he checks his license and, uh, and again, he just moves on and about his business, starts going back the other way. Uh, again, I don't know what he was doing there. There was no trucks parked down at the end of this road because we walked from the house. Some days I, I would just take a walk in the woods to take a walk in the woods. So maybe that's what Dave Hewitt was doing that day. Uh, I'll, I'll never know. Um, I don't think he does. I, I, I think I have asked him, and I don't think he remembers the encounter. But for a six-year-old boy to have that impression, and as Dave was walking away, I'm sure he was further down the trail, I said to my father, Dad, who's the cowboy in the woods? So I guess that really was my first interaction with a game warden, that I knew what he was. I knew there was law enforcement, and maybe I didn't at six. You know, I think back at six. What, what do you remember when you were six years old? You remember your six-year-old, that's first grade, right? So do you remember your teacher in first grade? I remember second grade, Mrs. Colburn. That's, uh, I think that's as far as I go back. I, I don't remember my first grade teacher. Is that bad? Uh, just a memory I can't remember. Mrs. Colburn, I think she, again, made that impression on me, probably like game wardens have done to a lot of people. Like Dave Hewitt did to me that day, Mrs. Colburn made an impression on me in second grade. So, as a matter of fact, I had to do second grade twice. So, that's she got to make two years of impressions on me. So, yeah, it's something I don't share a whole lot, but I guess I'll be sharing a lot now with, with everybody else on, on the show here. So, but from that day on, 
the cowboy in the woods. That's that's what I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be that cowboy in the woods. I wanted to be the guy wearing the Stetson. And that Stetson became a pretty important symbol to me down the road. Um, always. And, and it, it was an important symbol to other wardens that I knew. My mentor especially, his dad was a game warden. And he was second generation. And uh, that Stetson meant a lot to him. So he instilled that in me if that day didn't instill that in me. Because it's uh, a pretty prominent part of our uniform and uh, you know today I you know when I was a lieutenant in district one there were certain times that it was mandatory to wear that Stetson you know just like it was when you went to uh, Concord to our headquarters there it was mandatory you you, you better wear your Stetson to Concord you know because that's that's important people want you looking sharp well that Stetson was pretty important to me so for most of the things and the other lieutenants really didn't care that I wore my Stetson quite often. I'd wear them to the meetings where they'd wear their ball caps. Uh, it was just a symbol for me of, and a proud symbol too, of being a game warden. So that, that, that Stetson was, was an icon to me. When we did search warrants in District 1, I was a big stickler for this. When we knock on doors to execute a search warrant in somebody's house, you were wearing your Stetson, you were looking your best, because that's the impression that I wanted to leave. I didn't want to be in BDUs. I didn't want to be in a ball cap. Search warrants just as good, but I want them when they knock on the door and they open it up, there's the game warden at the uniform that he's worn for 60 years. He's standing there with that Stetson on and that, that, that makes an impression on people just like it does the state trooper hats. You know, we wear similar hats. Most state troopers have flat brimmed. We have curled Stetsons. Um, but again, you, you'll see a lot of states are wearing those Stetsons. And if you th- if my, my guys thought I was crazy about, you know, wearing a Stetson, the, the state police, you know, that's that's mandatory. I've seen them out in sub-zero temperature wearing that Stetson doing car stops. Now, I think that's a little crazy. And I think they did, too, because I think they've allowed them to use uh, the black black stocking caps. So and that looks good. And it also keeps your ears warm, which is <laughs> so important in working with your environments and that's you know the clothing that you wear is extremely important and we should uh definitely when we go into an environmental issue we got to dress the part and being conservation officers game wardens conservation agents a, a lot of us are responsible for like search and rescue type things so we have to dress the part when we're doing the part but the and that's exactly what we did when we were executing search warrants we were dressing the part because we were doing that part did we get dirty Absolutely. Were we crawling under beds looking for stuff? Absolutely. Were we in the barns digging through hay? Absolutely. It was it was sometimes miserable work conducting search warrants, I will say. <laughs> yeah, and I this the certain ones I remember uh, going through freezers that had rotten meat in them. Uh, it was the most disgusting thing I have ever done on a search warrant. Uh, you know, you open it up and part of a game warden search warrant is illegal meat. Freezers are a big part of that. So <laughs> so digging through freezers of rotten meat, and I, I was a sergeant at the time, so I, I didn't do a whole lot of digging. I was the, the guy on the scene executing it, managing the search warrant, and the guys were digging through that rotting, stinking, disgusting. Uh, it wasn't maggot-filled because it was frozen, and I, I think the freezer went down and somebody just plugged it back in. You know, it was... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm talking about it and gagging. You know, that, that's how bad it was. But I, I didn't have to hang out. I had two guys going through it. 
those guys, you know, just, uh, yeah, they were gagging. And th there's some few tricks there, rubbing a little Vicks underneath your nose to, so you're not taking in that putrefied smell and things like that that, that we use on investigations that are like that. So and uh, homicide investigators use the same type of things, uh, you know, to, to mask uh, dealing with a decomposed whatever, deer, bear, moose, human, whale, you name it. None of it can be pleasant at times, so... But that, that Stetson became an icon, and, you know, I start talking about my uh, my mentor, Sergeant Bryant. And you're going to hear a lot about Sergeant Bryant. He was a, a sergeant for a very long time, so, and in my mind, even though he retired as a lieutenant, I, I still slip up every now and then and call him Sarge or Sergeant Bryant. I became a very good friend, but, you know, when I was young, he was a mentor to me. At the age of 15, I started uh, doing ride-alongs with him. So I had a, a good idea of what this job was, was being a game warden. Uh, it, it, it instilled a lot of things in me that I carried throughout my career. And the lucky thing was that Sergeant Bryant was a second generation game warden. Dick Bryant, his father, was a game warden before him. And he also retired as a District 1 lieutenant. So Bob grew up in a house where a parent was a game warden. He had that experience. He had that knowledge. He did similar things. He did a couple ride-alongs with his father. I don't think he did them to the degree that I did with him. And I, I don't know why I did so many um, ride-alongs. I think it was because I felt like I was doing the job then, even though I was standing around watching. It was developing that passion, uh, investigation skills that I had, that I think I, I started then. You know, I think we start our learning at a very young age and to be 15 years old and start to, to ride and to learn, to see the interaction, the, the, the personal conduct around hunters, around people, about outdoor people, search and rescue missions, uh, hiking up and carrying, helping carrying out people. So those were my first uh, experiences were ride-alongs with Sergeant Bryant. Ride-alongs today, you might like, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to do a ride-along. Ride-alongs have changed uh to certain degrees, uh, there's some flexibility there, and sometimes there's not flexibility there. Uh, I know for me, as a lieutenant, I left that up to the guys. If they had somebody under the age of 18 that they felt was a good candidate to uh, ride along with them, I wanted them to ride along. I wanted them to make that decision. I wanted them to pick the candidates because I want to cultivate people that are going to be game wardens. I want to cultivate good people that want to be game wardens and the first sign of a good person that wants to be a game warden of course this is coming from a guy that did it is a ride-along in today's day and age ride-alongs are a challenge we are so busy sometimes it's not conducive to having people ride with you we're on snowmobile patrol uh don't have a snowmobile okay well you're not riding on the back of my snowmobile all day that's not going to happen so that that we're not going to have a ride-along that day unless sometimes People had snowmobiles. If you had a snowmobile, I was okay with uh, having a ride-along. Actually, it worked out better because even though they were with you, they weren't with you. People didn't realize that that guy on that sled that pulled over shut down his snowmobile was really with you. So that worked out a little bit better. So you didn't have to explain why somebody was there. And when we did, a lot of times we said, oh, he's that, that's our undercover guy. Uh, the colonel's uh, son used to ride with us quite often and he would shut down and you know, he was just a snowmobiler in snowmobile garb with a, you know, a kid that had a pretty high-end snowmobile, too. So uh, 
but he'd shut down and sit there and every now and then somebody would be like, uh, is he with you? And I would say, yes, he is. And he's like, what's he do? I'm like, well, that's our undercover guy. You know, how do we catch people all the time? We got to have some undercover people out here. And they'd be like, oh, really? Oh, that, oh, okay. So it would move on. So, <laughs> you know, part of that is putting your perception in people's heads that, you know, hey, there's undercover snowmobilers out here. So maybe that'll stop them from violating or passing somebody on the wrong side of the trail or speeding or, or conducting themselves in a better manner if they know that's undercover guys out there. I mean, uh, on the roads, uh, we're seeing a lot of unmarked vehicles now, which is great, I think, because they get to see the true nature of people without being marked. People are flying by undercover troopers and getting stopped when they might be coming up behind. And if there's a bunch of traffic, they see the trooper, they slow down. So they're getting to see their those these true interactions with people on the roads. And so I'm, I'm a big advocate of undercover people. Um, so And to put that in somebody's mind isn't a bad thing. Hey, but they got undercover snowmobilers out here. So um, that, that, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. So that's, that's one of the ride-alongs that, that we did, you know, on snowmobile. And like I said, I'm not having a guy ride on the back of my snowmobile. I don't mind if they had a snowmobile, though, and they wanted to ride along, and that worked out well. Most of the time, fall hunting season was the time of ride-alongs. Ride that's, that's when people want to see the interaction. That's when we get into cases. We, we check hunters. We check hunting licenses. We check game, game in the bag, see what they've been shooting, grouse hunting, rabbit hunting, small game, deer, bear, moose. Those, those are the times that it's kind of neat. And those are the times we get into wildlife investigations, which is uh, the core of the game warden's passion is to catch the poacher. For the most part, uh, I believe that's my passion. Most of my friends, most of my colleagues, that's their passion. That's where they started to catch the bad guy that was stealing our natural resources, our animals, our fish, our birds, our deer, our moose. They are stealing it. And they're not they're stealing it from me. They're stealing it from you. They're stealing it from our children. They're stealing it from generations. And they're, they're, they're stealing it. And if they steal enough of it, it's gone. You know, we, we have rules and regulations to limit populations of animals. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's hunting. It's, it's harvesting those animals like we've done for thousands and thousands of years. But what we found out is when we over-harvest, we almost, we put things into extinction when we over-harvest. So when we have an adequate population, we want healthy populations because we also know that there's too much of a good thing, then disease takes over. And then disease affects humans in unnatural ways, where we get sick, or the amount of dead animals makes us sick, or it, it, it makes water bad because the animals are dying in the water. There's just so many things. So we want a healthy population of wildlife. So that's why we set limits. And plus, we want people to harvest. We want people to eat wild game. We want them to do what they've traditionally done for thousands, thousands and thousands of years. Uh, because it seems to be in our system for some of us. And like I said, when you go out in the woods and you're hunting, again, it's not about killing. It's about the experience. Is it about the pursuit, the putting yourself in the right place at the right time, the challenge? It has so many aspects of hunting. Uh, if you're using a dog, is that relationship with your dog, uh, things like that. So it, it, it's pretty important. So, But getting back to, to ride-alongs, um, this day and age, it, it's just, it's, it's a different world than I, when I think I started right along because, or, or you're in a different location. Being in northern New Hampshire, we are uh, some of the rural law enforcement. 
that that's who we are. We are rule law enforcement. Whether we are backing up, and that's what we prefer to do, is backing up state police, border patrol, uh, other law enforcement that are locals. You know, that's what we do. When we hear a call that needs help for another officer, we jump on board and we help. Uh, so we're doing that a lot, and we're driving here and we're driving there, supporting local law enforcement. Because that's, A, what we have to do when you're in a rural situation. Because those are the guys that are going to support you. Those are the guys that are going to go out in the middle of the woods when you need help and you're trying to effect an arrest and you're rolling around with a guy on the ground and you call for help. Those are the guys that are going to help you. It's the locals. It's the state police. It's the border patrol. Because in some of these rural areas or extreme northern areas where the population is such that there isn't a law, law enforcement, the, the ones that are there... We need them. We need their help. I was a big, big advocate with my guys. If you guys want to work together, work together. I, I have no problem with that because that's your backup right there. Hunting season, you want to work together. I like it. I know it's not as effective, but you know what? It's safer. And to get back up into some of these back roads, and when I say back roads, I'm talking not even logging roads, paper company roads, roads that have numbers and not names. Uh, with 911, most roads have names now, but... Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. To, to get somebody not knowing where you are to the location you are, where you're in, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of wood, of wood that has an access road to it. Not just one access road, but numerous access roads in and around the area. That That's a challenge, you know, to get somebody there. So, you know what, if you want to, guys want to work together, work together. Also, I found out with working guys together is they, they motivate each other. You know, it's just part of it. You know, me and the colonel have a great relationship. We were patrol partners for years. And when I wanted to go home, guess what? He'd say, no, no, let's go out. We got to go check this place. We got to do this. We got to do that. As a result, we worked a lot, a lot of hours, but we were extremely effective because we worked off each other. You know, when, when it was time to go home, it was like, nope, let's go here. Let's go there. Back then I really didn't have a life. So it really didn't matter. Uh, being a game warden was my life, you know, and that's, that's what, 23 years was of being a game warden was your life. Being in Walmart, answering questions, going food shopping, answering questions, getting calls at home, answering questions, getting called out at night for search and rescue missions, that that type of thing. So it wasn't a career, it's a lifestyle. Now, some people treat it like that and some people don't. I think you fight it all the time if you don't embrace it as a lifestyle and you try to treat it as a job. You are constantly fighting everything else. So if you treat it as a lifestyle, those questions in the grocery store, it doesn't phase you. The calls at home don't phase you because that's a lifestyle and that's the lifestyle you chose and it rolls into your family and wife, kids, whatever, they learn to grow up with it or to be part of it and that's part of it. So and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. So ride-alongs again, hunting season probably the most times that we have ride-alongs. Uh, 
and it's it's kind of a cool time for somebody to jump in a cruiser and ride around with the game warden and interact with hunters because that that's pretty cool i always thought that was cool and that was the times that i did it with sergeant bryant a lot the other things we'd do is we'd set on fields at night uh, for night hunting for those poachers that are out trying to kill deer after dark and he enjoyed it because he got company he got company so he went along and picked me up and we'd go sit in a field and that was great because we could talk we could have he'd have coffee i think i was drinking coffee probably at the age of 15 i think i started drinking at 12 so and i'm a coffee fiend so anyways drink coffee chat and uh keep him awake and sometimes keep me awake sometimes i'd fall asleep right there and then end up in my home and uh you know get shaken awake and him telling me when you're a game warden you don't want to do that especially as a trainee because uh you'll get in uh, big trouble so, and I don't want you to do that. So, you know, those are the kind of the lessons learned uh, there. So, but ride-alongs, uh, I, I, I can think of one particular ride-along. When I, when I was a lieutenant, we had uh, Glenn Lucas had a ride-along that day. And uh, Glenn ended up getting assaulted. And the guy ended up running into the woods. Uh, and Glenn had a ride-along. So where he was, he couldn't call for backup. He jumped in his cruiser. He called for backup. And he dropped this guy off at the end of another road and said, I don't know, uh, you know, <laughs> when I'll be back to get you. We'll be back to get you at some point. If you can get somehow get home and let us know that you're all set, go ahead. But right now I can't have you because we could be putting you in harm's way and we're not going to do that. And every ride along signs a waiver, a waiver of liability, but that was the best thing to do in that case. And I, everyone should be doing that. We don't want to put those ride alongs in harm's way. And just by sitting there in the cruiser, we're gonna we're, we're putting them in harm's way. But if we know that we're responding to something serious, if we know we are involved in something serious, we are gonna take that ride along and we're gonna put them in the safest place possible. And this guy wasn't like a 15 year old kid. This guy was in his 20s, so he wasn't dropping off a kid at the end of the street or whatever. He was talking off an adult and saying, "This is serious. We'll come back and get you." So. Sheriff's Department responded, state police responded, I responded, we effected arrest, uh, took that guy in and processed him, and we picked up the ride-along. So, but he was probably there for an hour, an hour and a half while we did our job and while we, we put ourselves probably in a higher-risk situation than normal, everyday routine stuff. And I say routine and every law enforcement officer is listening that nothing's routine. And that's the mindset we should have. Nothing is routine. Um, I always rely on that sixth sense. Uh, I'm telling you, it's there. I remember, you know, and I'll tell you stories about this as we go. My, my hair standing up on the back of my neck. Listen to that. Even if you're not a law enforcement officer, when you think something is wrong, it probably is. If you're in an airport and you see someone drop a bag, if you something somebody's making you feel uncomfortable for some reason, it's probably a good idea to tell somebody in authority there's something off there and this is the behavior that i'm seeing and this is what i need you know because uh, more often than not you're right and even if you're not most people are happy to look into it you know when people were telling me something was wrong i would look into it you know and and generally they were right something's wrong because we all have this intuitiveness in us that hey that guy's looking evasive the the people that fit into our culture and stuff, you know, a spy, they, they get used to doing things and, you know, it's common. So when people are doing uncommon acts, 
it, they, they get awkward. Now, if the guy's poached all his life, and, and this is common, it, it may be just fine to him. But if he thinks he's being seen, again, he's starting to react differently than he normally would. If he's dragging an illegal deer to throw in the back of a trunk, and you pull over and say, hey, what happened? You know, like, oh, the deer got hit by, a, you know, deer got hit, you know, right here. You know, I'm just putting in the back of my truck. And, oh, did you call the game wards? Did you get a tag? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I did. Yep, yep. But, and then you see it's a, you know, an out-of-state plate. And this guy's kind of acting evasive and, you know, things like that. So now you're writing down the play and you're calling the Operation Game Thief line because that, that guy didn't act right. And, and loading a deer on the side of the road can be a normal thing during hunting season. Uh, some, of the, some of the guys that should have got away with things killed moose illegally during the moose season. What a cover. What a cover. You know, so that, those types of things, you know, that may seem normal then, they, they acted normal. They got away with it. So, but I'm sure if someone showed up and started interacting with them as they were doing it, they would be uncomfortable and we should notice that. So ride-alongs are extremely important. I think uh, it, it, it gets the people out there, if you're one of them, thinking, geez, this sounds like a really cool job. And as we get into the, the nuts and bolts of... uh you know, search and rescue missions, uh, wildlife investigations. Uh, you know, we've gotten involved with homicides before. So uh, those types of things, I think, are, uh, you know, things we should think about as young people and, uh, you know, that interaction and, and feeling out the job. Because if a game warden from, I want to say, 40 years ago jumped in with a game warden of today, it's a different job. It's changed. It's changed a lot. You know, uh, probably 60 years ago, we didn't have moose. There was a very small, small population. They never dealt with moose. Guess what? We had caribou. We had the last woodland caribou in northern New Hampshire. So now we don't have caribou. We have had a huge moose population, a great moose population. And now in New Hampshire, the moose population's taken a dive. So we're back to a very small population of moose comparatively to what we had. And to give you an idea how big our moose population was, as a game warden, it was the only time I've had calls pending on opening day of moose season. You know, that's that's not a normal thing for a game warden in northern New Hampshire to have calls pending. In southern New Hampshire, that's a whole different story because the interaction with wildlife and people increases your call levels exponentially, and you are responding to a lot of things. Northern New Hampshire, people are used to dealing with wildlife, and they can deal with them in a lot easier manner than people that aren't used to dealing with wildlife. But if you get that feeling, you jump in and you ride along with the game warden, you get that feel of what, whether, hey, this, this might be for me. This might not be for me. So, and those guys that jump in with us from days of old every now and then and get the feel, they're like, I don't, I, I can't, I wouldn't want to do this job now. You guys are a, a slave to your phones. You're a slave to your radios. You're a, you know, before then, they used to have to report back once a week, make a call into Concord and just to let people know that they were alive. And they'd have to drive 30 miles to get to a phone to make that call. Uh, th those are the types of things that have changed. Um, you know, it, it's kind of crazy. So um, I'm not sure if I have enough time to go into my first night hunting case. Because uh, when I got hired, Sergeant Bryant and I got a chance to work together. And, uh, you know, that was my, my first night hunting case. So it was pretty dang exciting. Um, and that, that's, that's an adventure that I'd love to share. Because that has a lot of twists and turns. A lot of investigations. And such like that. But, you know, the, the first one, I want you guys to get a feel of me. I want you to understand where I'm coming from, why I'm coming from here. Uh, when I retired, I was like, wow, I felt like I'd jump off a cliff. You know, my passion, everything that I geared my life for was done. 
And even though I had some involvements with Operation Game Thief, still a director on there, International Wildlife Crime Stopper, still a member with that. And those are extremely, extremely important, and I hope to advertise for them every chance I get, uh, whether they're nonprofit or state-run avenues for you know sportsmen and women, conservationists to help, because they try, they they help catch poachers and. All the game wardens that we have, and there are less and less every year, I'll tell you. If you look, you know, 20, 30 years back, there was a whole lot more game wardens there are today, especially in New Hampshire. Wildlife law enforcement is decreasing from what I can see. It's decreasing. And we need help. We need help from good people to make those calls. When you get that sixth sense and you know something's wrong, you got to report it to Operation Game Thief for International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. you got to make that call. you got to let those people know so that we can investigate that. Because it, it, it is so important for you to help us. Because our numbers are decreasing. And I'm only one set of eyes and ears in my area. By incorporating good people that are in the outdoors, whether you're a logger, you're a farmer, you're a hunter, you're a hiker, that helps me. Helps me uh, by you telling me, geez, I saw this and it was wrong. You know, I think there was something wrong. I don't know why. That guy was dragging the deer down the, the hiking trail, and then when he saw me, you know, he ran into the woods and left the deer, and, you know, just that was just kind of odd. So, I, you know, I, I called just to let you know, you know. So those are the types of things that when you feel it's wrong or something's just, just off there, you know, uh, pick up that phone and make that call. And some, some people may have so much insight. Uh, over the years, we've had cases where relatives have called because, hey, my, my, my dad's poaching. You know, he's killed three deer this year, and this is how he's done it. Uh, but I can't, I want to be anonymous. I don't want to let anybody know. So those are the types of things I'm, I was involved with and I'm still involved with. And that's how I'm funneling my, my passion now. This and this podcast, uh, very important to me to get our stories out there. And I hope it's important to all the game wardens to get our stories out there. Some of them are extremely exciting, you know. Um, and that's part of, uh, I think, what I miss. Because every day I got up. Through on the uniform, I, I do have routine things to do, but guess what? Uh, my day can change. My day can change by a phone call. Hey, there's a dead moose up here with a bullet hole in it. Hey, there's a dead bear over here, you know, with a couple bullet holes in it. Hey, there's somebody stranded on Mount Washington, and we got weather coming in. Or the weather is so extreme, that, and we have somebody missing. And, uh, you know, it's negative 30, and the winds are you know, at about 70 miles an hour and things are dropping in temperature and increasing in speed. So, you know, every day changed, you know, and uh, whether you call it excitement or not, it was adrenaline pumping through your system to respond to these things, to handle these things. And as a conservation officer, you deal with it on a different level. You deal with it on the level of doing the work. As a sergeant, yeah, you get, you know, up to a sergeant's position, which I, I did for five years. Um, you're that supervisor, plus you're still doing the work. So, but I could be in charge of a search and rescue mission because I'm, my, my boss is off. So now it's all mine. So I am learning that job as well. And then as a Lieutenant, you know, I, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of those investigations, whether I'm directly involved with a wildlife investigation, I'm monitoring it. The guys are interacting with me. They're telling me what they got, where to go. And that, and a, and a lot of times those guys are bouncing ideas off me using my experience to help catch bad guys and poachers. That's that's the, the enjoyment of being the lieutenant. And when there is a big mission, whether it's a drowning, whether it's a search and rescue mission, whether it's a execution of a search warrant, yeah, I'm there. I'm in charge. I'm working with my guys right hands-on. 
directing them, doing doing what the thing is, and and you know, the next thing I retire, and I'm like, you know, what am I doing? You know, uh, and then I start thinking, well, I'm going to start my own business now. What kind of business do I want to start? You know, they say the first thing you want to do when you start a business is do something that you know you feel that you're not working. You feel you have a passion for that it's pretty, you know, that that it's not work at all. So I think uh, that's what I looked at, and then I'm like, I like being a game warden. How do I how do I get that back? How do I promote being a game warden? How do I pro uh, you know promote these law enforcement wildlife agencies? How do I promote the guys doing the job, making them the heroes that they are? You know, we have TV shows about it now, and you guys get to see for sure some of the interactions, some of the things. But how about a game warden telling you his best story? And and when I say his best story, I'm saying he's probably got six, eight, or ten of those. And they probably go from homicides to catching poachers to near-death experiences, doing search and rescue. At least those are the types of things in New Hampshire that come. I, I can think of stories right off the top of my head regarding those. But to t- put those out there to, to, to the general public, to let the people that listening to this podcast know what we do, how we do it, and actually get a feel for who we are. Because I think that's so important, the who we are. Because we are the conservationists. We are the guys that want to catch the poacher. We are the guys that want to make a difference long-term in how we manage wildlife. And there's aspects of wildlife management, and law enforcement is one of them. We can make all kinds of rules. The biologists can say, hey, we, we can do this, we can do that, and we need to do this, we need to set these rules and those rules. Without law enforcement, we've failed. We have failed, and we're failing now as a nation because we're forgetting that element. We're forgetting that enforcement. We're making new rules and laws to help manage populations, ducks, geese, moose, deer, bear, you know, but we forgot that, hey, we need uh, game wardens to enforce this. So when budget time comes and there's cuts to be made and there's some open positions that haven't been filled, yeah, we'll just cut those positions. No, 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 we can't cut those positions because that's part of our management plan. Law enforcement is part of it. Now, do states lean on those guys a lot for other things? Absolutely. The best guy in the woods is your game warden. You can have some some state police that are extremely good, but we are game wardens. We're in the woods a lot. The first GPSs that came out, guess what? We were learning them. Before that, we were doing map and compass, and we were navigating through the woods like that. And we understand where the streams go and how they interact, and when the rain comes, they flood. We understand the woods. We understand what needs to be carried in the woods so we can survive, and when we find those people, that we can we can save them and we can help them survive. So when it comes to search and rescue, a lot of states lean on their game wardens, as they should. And other states that maybe the game wardens aren't managing search and rescue missions, they are part of a team, and they are part of an exclusive team usually, that whether the sheriff's department or the state police, they are using that resource in a way that it's their most precious resource. When they need somebody to go in the woods way far away, they put a team of game wardens on it. So, and that, that that's where I am. That's where I want. I want to start sharing. And I, I guess as these podcasts go on, you're going to, you're going to learn more about me. You're going to hear my stories. You're going to hear the interaction with other wardens. Uh, some of those stories I'm going to be involved with, you know, some of those stories I'm not. But, you know, I'm going to be involved with similar stories, so maybe we can talk about my stories, their stories. But I I want to get those messages out. I want the game wardens to tell you what they want to tell you. I want you to understand, you know, 
the, the poachers, you know, and I, <laughs> by saying that, I, I, I want to interview a couple poachers, a couple poachers I dealt with. One particular poacher I hope he comes on, uh, I didn't catch. I didn't catch, but he is a changed man, and it's because, you know, he had kids, and he didn't want his kids to turn out like he did, so he changed for that reason. He didn't change because, you know, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, you know, almost caught me or didn't catch me, or he, he changed because of his kids, and I think, you know, that legacy uh, is, is important for other poachers to hear. You know, they're not training their kids to poach. They're training their kids the right way. And every interaction I have with this poacher is usually with his son and now. And he's doing it the right way. And we've had this conversation, you know, and met in other spots and had a social conversation. And, you know, he's revealed to me a few things that I'm sure if he gets on in front of a microphone and is feeling comfortable, he'll reveal a whole lot more that I didn't know. But I was always on the fringe of catching him. I, I caught others in his group. I just never caught him. And uh, there was one time I was out uh, after getting shot. Uh, I was out for about a year. And uh, he shot a nice buck the day after the season. And uh, it was investigated. And, uh, yeah, they never caught him doing that. But he told me, yep, I did that. He's like, I was just happy you weren't around. So, Because <laughs> I would have been all over him. It was too close to proximity to where he does his business. So, um, I, I, I would have been all over him and we would have, uh, gone to the fullest extent to, to catch him. And he knows that that's, that's the nice thing. He knows that he knows that, uh, that that's the extremes I went to. Um, some of the other extremes that, you know, th those are the types of things that I want you to hear from us. I want you to understand, uh, behind the scenes of being a game warden and, and enjoy those stories that we have. And, uh, just, just move on from there. I'm, I'm excited about this podcast. I hope you are. This is the beginning. This is the beginning, and I hope to uh, get those guys talking to you, uh, telling you their stories, and I hope that you're interested and you listen and that you get on the edge of your seat. Uh, if you're driving, I don't want you on the edge of your seat, but I, I want you to be on the edge of your seat just the way we were when we're doing this investigation and the surprise, the turns, the, the adventure. You know, when I get up every morning, when I do an interview, I want I want to know, hey, this is exciting. This I want to I want to live through him, so to speak. So great, thank you for listening, Game Warden Wayne Saunders. We'll see you next time. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders and other game wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. 
watch Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration presented by Battery Tender every Tuesday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Join us for land management tips, family hunts, and conservation-centric films as we show our appreciation for the great outdoors.